This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Let's get it going. Happy Friday. We are coming at you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios for another edition of Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960. The fan It's Logan Gordon along with you. A CFL power hour coming your way. In just moments, we'll chat with Patty Dumas, one of our Stampeders reporters here on Sportsnet 960. Get you all set for the Stampeders and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on Saturday from Regina. Huge game for the 1-3 Stampeders. And a little bit later on this hour, we will travel up to QE2 to Edmonton and check in on the Elks. The winless Edmonton Elks. The pitiful Edmonton Elks. 20 straight losses at home. After a defeat on Thursday night football to the Hamilton Tiger Cats, what in the world is happening with Edmonton? They were celebrating Ricky Ray. Still couldn't get uh, fans out. Another disappointing performance for Taylor Cornelius. And that team is in some major trouble. We'll chat with Brendan Escott from Sports uh, from uh, 630 Chet up in Edmonton. Covers the Elks uh, uh, up there and try to get a feel for what exactly is happening with that once proud franchise. We're kicking things off, though. A quick reminder, the fan feedback line always open to you here on Sports Today. 960-960. Questions, comments, concerns. If you're interested to know what Garrett's Friday night plans are, you can text in to 960-960 because Garrett's hanging out with us. Shan is here. We're going to keep Shan around for a little bit longer, we've decided. Taylor trying to keep all three of us morons together and doing the proper show. Uh, we're along for you for the next hour here on this Friday. But let's go down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Kick things off by saying hello to Patrick Dumas, Stan Peters reporter, part of the big show with Russick and Rose in the morning. Patty, how are you doing, pal? I'm good, brother. I'm also interested in GVP's plans tonight. We can't actually tell you what they are. They're not radio appropriate, but um, oh. you can. Not sure if I like this narrative secrets. you're spinning you right now. Top secret information that can't be shared. It's, he's disgusting. Oh, I refrain from going joint. You gonna pull a cheeseaholic and go rob a bank? <laughs> We're not gonna give the Calgary Police that kind of inside information, okay? <laughs> Insider information. Yeah, he's the guy. Yeah. Uh, we are here at CIB. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're, we're hanging out here today, Patty. Uh, Friday night football tonight. Uh, CFL week continues with a doubleheader on Saturday. Uh, the big game that we're focused on here in Calgary, obviously the Stampeders and the Rough Riders. Uh, before we get into some of the lineup changes, just a, a big game in general for the Stamps. I don't, I, I don't subscribe to the must wins in, in June or July as most people don't, but 
this feels like a, a pretty significant game for them to get on track. And you don't want to lose a season series to an opponent like Saskatchewan uh, six weeks into the year. Well, that's exactly it. And you said off the top there just uh, how, how disappointing the Elks have been. Just the whole of Alberta football right now. One and nine. Stamps lose on Saturday. Could be one and ten. And that's, that was unheard of for so many years that this province was so good with its football teams. And now it's it's been tough. I mean, the Stamps, you know, maybe, you know, the one and three record, you know, it maybe isn't deserved. Maybe could it be a two and two? Could you be in? Yeah, probably if you made a made some key plays here and there. But, yeah, this game is as close as you can get to a must-win. Facing, you know, uh, you could lose the season series with a team you're likely going to be battling with for the, the third playoff spot in the West. And, uh, you know, who knows what the heck will happen out East if the, if the crossover comes into effect. But, yeah, you can't, you can't be dropping games uh, early to division opponents, especially, you know, your, your big rival, your now assumed biggest rival that it's been the last 10 years or so. Uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So, yeah, big one from them from for the Stamps tonight. And yeah, with Saskatchewan, you know, three and one. You know, maybe they could be almost two and two if we just go back uh, three weeks ago to that double overtime loss here at McMahon Stadium. Yeah, let's talk about that game because not uh, all that long ago, these two teams did meet up at McMahon before the bye week for the Stamps. And look, there's an opportunity missed probably for the Stamps here, Patty. Going back to that one you mentioned, it went to double overtime. Uh, Jake Mayer with the unfortunate error in the second overtime that gets picked off as he goes for the end zone shot to win it. Uh, the Stamps are looking for more from Jake Mayer. And, and look, I, I think it's fair to say that the Saskatchewan Rough Riders did a, a pretty good job in that first matchup of keeping Calgary contained through the air. What did you take from that first game that Calgary is going to need to kind of replicate or, or change if this one's to give them a better result on Saturday? You know they had a good job, uh, a good job running the ball that day, and you know this is a team that you know has been maybe too guilty of getting away from the run, and we saw last week what happens when you get away from the run. When I thought, you know, when I think most Stamps fans, and I think most of the most of the CFL eyes were like, why, 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 why the little so little carries in in the in the second half? But yeah, it was a game where maybe Jake Mayer. You know, I get it. Double overtime, you want the win. But looking back, it's like, hey, maybe a tie would have sounded better if you just, you know, just look back. And I'm sure he's probably looking back. Of course, we're going to go for a win. You don't play for a tie. But it was a game that they had. And obviously, they had Malik Henry in that game, which they will no longer have going forward. So that's a big, uh, big loss there. But overall, you know, this might be the healthiest group of receivers that uh, Jake will have to work with uh, all season so far. You know, you're getting Luther Kunavanu back in the lineup. You know, uh, Cole Tucker will be around. Tommy Lee Lewis is going to make his CFL debut another week with uh, Mark and Michelle. So there are definitely some options. As as Dave has stressed all week, they try to stretch. They're trying to get the ball vertical here going, and that is like, literally hasn't. It's been Reggie Bagleton underneath. It's been Trey Odom's Duke for a little ten yard gain and see what he can do after that. So there hasn't been that real stretch the ball vibe, and you know that's hopefully you can open up the top with a guy like Malik for a second week or sorry sorry not the league but marking for a second week and uh you know take advantage of this this riders team that's going to be down uh, uh some key players as well so uh, i think these two teams are probably by far the most injured group uh six riders already ruled out i haven't seen what their final injury report will be i guess yesterday probably would be their final injury report so yeah they're gonna be without six guys so this could be a time where you can t- try and take advantage of them because last week was I don't even know what last week really was. It was a game that the Elks had a chance, and who knows what happens if C.J. Sims just uh, you know, doesn't have the, 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 the mistake in the end zone. So 
this is a team I think is ripe for the picking in Saskatchewan, and they just they might have their chances to take some shots down the field. So this this might be the week that we see Jake uh, trust his receivers because the trust is there. And I think Reggie Bagleton talked about it this week uh, how once they start playing as a whole unit as a team, you know they'll start seeing things peak here. Uh, you talked about that receiver core uh, looking a lot more healthy for this week. The one guy I want to focus mm-hmm. on before we, we talk about some of the other guys is that guy you mentioned, Tommy Lee Lewis. This is a guy that Dave Dickinson and John Huffnagel have had their eyes on for a very long time. I believe we heard uh, six years he's been on the Stamps negotiation yeah. list, and now they finally got up to Canada. He dealt with some injury problems, but he makes his CFL debut uh, tonight or Saturday night, I should say, against Saskatchewan here. What's the expectation? What have we seen from Tommy Lee Lewis? What kind of player are the Stamps bringing in here with Lewis? I think this is a guy that, like, uh, I think can give them that ability to stretch the field, not only in the, in, in the receiving game, but he's also a returner from his days in the NFL. And this, you know, with the, with no Peyton Logan still, this is a team that, well, Floyd Allen did a, a pretty good job last week. I think, you know, Tommy Lee Lewis has that ability and the experience that he might be a guy, a game breaker in the special teams aspect of the game. And I think uh, while, you know, he didn't get a lot of uh, first team looks in practice, a lot of, a lot of second team, a lot of scout team looks, I think he has shown ability. And I think a lot of Stamps fans and maybe even the whole CFL is kind of wondering what they have in this guy. He's, he's been around the Stamps Naglas for so long and, and Dave and John have coveted him, so I'm excited to see what he can do and whether that's, you know, some underneath uh, routes to start, uh, use his ability to get the yak yards or, you know, start moving some men around, get him, just try get him the ball somehow because that's the only way you're really going to find out in, in live game action. Get him the ball, see what he can do because I know that talent's there. I think, you know, any guy that can come up from the NFL, we don't think, we assume, well, hey, the NFL guys are better than the CFL guys. Well, that's not always the case. So this is a guy that's been, without playing football, ball really professionally for for quite a while now so i'm interested to see what he can bring tonight and this was a guy that not a lot of people saw in practice even in training camp he was on the sidelines not doing a lot so to, uh, on saturday we'll see what ha- can happen but i think just getting him the ball could change a lot uh second week now with mark and michelle in the lineup as well he mm-hmm. came in very quickly uh last week just due to all the injuries but he's expected to be Starting again for the Stampeders here. Are we expecting to see him a little bit more involved in the offense than maybe he was last week? Yeah, I think uh, there's obviously some miscommunication between Jake and Mark in there against Winnipeg, the overthrow there in the second half that really probably ended it there for for Calgary. And as the, that, that was maybe the end of the most promising drive they had going in that second half. But I think another week, another couple weeks, or another week, sorry, uh, under under the – under the the new offense because it's not the same book uh, playbook the same really as it was when he left in 2018 so there's still some learning abilities you know learning with jake and and whatnot so but i think a second week we'll see him i think they definitely just try and stretch the field Uh, he's got that ability he's got that similar size to malik henry so i think you know this might be the week you can try and trust them with the, with the ball. And it's all about timing with Jake. And, and Dave talked about it. It was one of the, one of the best quotes I heard of the whole week. And, you know, back in his day, it was, it was, it was all about the eyes and the quarterback. So maybe Jake's got to just follow, trust his eyes a little bit more. Cause you know, he's got that ability. We know it, it's there. So maybe this, I, I think this could definitely be the week that uh, you see more connection uh, with Mark and Michelle. Keeping with that offense, uh, we've talked about this, I think, pretty much every time we've chatted. It's another O-line combo for uh, protecting Jake Mayer and getting that run game going. This time, Bryce Bell 
shifting out to right tackle, the third different position that he started uh, on that offensive line this year. Uh, a new face in at, at left tackle again. I don't really know that the combo matters, Patrick. They just got to get consistent protection for Jake if he wants to get uh, that offense going and start about pushing that ball down the field. Hard to do that if the protection isn't there for him when he's passing. Yeah, that's exactly it. Talk about stretching the field uh, and, and getting your run game going. Yeah, you got to protect the quarterback first and, and foremost. And, and the guys in the middle have been key. Uh, Zach, or sorry, Sean McEwen is the, is the big glue in there with, you know, Ryan Skevier and, and Zach Williams, uh, you know, flanking him on his, on each side. So that combination has been good. It's just been the rotating tackles that have been the issue. We know how important, you know, the tackles are in, in the pass protection game. So uh, DeAndre Demery comes back in, in on Saturdays. So that's a guy that they really liked in camp and, and really loved through, through uh, you know, he started, got the start for, for in, in week one, obviously replacing a guy like Derek Dennis is some big shoes to fill. But I think, you know, this might be probably the best combination they have of among the five of the healthy bodies. So uh, I think this could be really the week you see them maybe push back on that Riders defensive line. Maybe, maybe trust the, you know, win the battle between, you know, in, in, in the, in, you know, on the line of scrimmage. It's a football cliche, but that's where I think uh, Kyrie can have an advantage this week. Gentlemen, Patty Dumas, one of our Stampeders reporters here on Sportsnet 960. You know him from the big show with Rusick and Rose in the morning as well, getting set for the Stampeders and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders Saturday night from Mosaic Stadium in Saskatchewan. On the defensive side of things, pal, not much changing for the Calgary mm-hmm. Stampeders. They'll get Natrell Jamerson back at that field side corner uh, across from uh, Trey Roberson, but past that, uh, a healthy body for the most part on the defensive side of things heading into Saturday. Yeah, uh, probably the most consistent group uh, this team's had all year. And, uh, you know, really safe for the, the nine-minute drive against Winnipeg last week. I thought they did a pretty admirable job, and they have done all year. Uh, Mike Alway, of course, leads the league in tackles. And, you know, he's been a solid, solid rock in that middle there. It, it, it still, you want to see more pressure from the defensive line. You know, they had it early on there against uh, Kalaros and Winnipeg. And, you know, you want to see that throughout an entire game and, and whatnot. But I think they obviously it's the most consistent group that they have going forward here. Uh, you know, Julian O'Sara had a little chat with him. You'll hear that tomorrow in the Stamps Hour. Uh, and, you know, and getting Natrell Jamerson back healthy, that's going to help. You know, the, the Riders don't have a lot of healthy receivers either. Sean Bain Jr., the former Stampeder, is, is really the guy right now for Saskatchewan. So, you know, who knows what he'll draw the matchups there. So uh, it's the most consistent group. But it almost wants you to leave, you know, leave it more. And maybe that's that's undesired on, on the offense. Maybe if the offense was picking up a little more, you'd, you'd say, hey, this defense is doing all right. But I think you want to see more pressure from that defensive line because they've, they've gotten some sacks, but they're coming from, from guys in the, you know, they're coming from Trey Roberts. They're coming from Titus Wall. They're coming from the, the guys that aren't along that defensive line. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Sarah can do. Uh, on the ads. And obviously James Waters is, is a guy that I, I really, really want to see more from. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to a couple people about that last week, and I was thinking, you know, Reggie Bagleton and trying to get more from him offensively. And yeah. Vaughters is kind of the same on the defensive side of things, right? Coming off of a, a good stint in the NFL, these guys don't come cheap coming back to Canada. And mm-hmm. Vaughters is that guy on the defensive side of things who I think the Stamps are paying to be that difference maker. And I look, I'll give the guy some time to adjust. I think he's gotten better as the year goes on, but I'm kind of with you there that feels like they need just that little bit more from Vaughters on a play-to-play basis. 
Yeah, he, exactly. I think he's been brought in to be a, to be a game wrecker, and and we know what how that matters in the CFL is getting after the quarterback can make so much of a difference in a game. And uh, I mean, you don't want to hurt the quarterbacks because they're running out in this league. Uh, it feels like so, you know. But yeah, I think you know, getting pressure from the edges can get can open up so many more options for that defense. You know, it it pressures the quarterback into making some tough you know tough calls and making rushing him into making some tough decisions. So you know, key pressure off the edge. We need to see more from James Waters. Like he said, he, he, he's paid to, be a, paid to be a guy that can wreck games, former Stampeder. He knows what he can do in this game. We just need to see more from him. Uh, before we let you go, how much pressure yeah. do you feel is on uh, Jake Mayer heading into this one, just knowing how difficult the season it's been? I know a lot of people pointing the finger at Jake and the lack of you know success that he's had to start this season. But how do you feel about that situation as we head into this pivotal game on Saturday, Patty? I think he's got the, the ability, all the ability in the world to turn this thing around. I had Jamie Nye on this morning, and he had a, he had a good uh, comparison to trying to compare him to like a, a pitcher. You know, he, he's usually a guy that has his ERA in the, in the low threes, but right now he's a guy in the in the high fives. And you know, you just got you want to give him time, but you know, this is this is the season. This is time to it's time to go. And like I said, with this receiving core, this might be the most healthy group he has. And uh, we've seen it in practice. I, I know what he can do with, in practice. So uh, in game action, you know, it seems to be seen things aren't clicking right now. But another week with, uh, with Mark and Michelle, getting uh, Reggie Bagleton back is key. And his yak yard is, is such a weapon. You know, I know he's not, he's not so much a guy that can open up the field. But, again, there's a guy I've seen it in practice can, can stretch the field. But we'll see what happens in game action. But I, I have full faith that he can turn this thing around. But he's running out of time. If he goes down one and four and he doesn't have a good game, he, he throws a couple interceptions. Again, no touchdowns, two touchdowns on the year. That is not good enough in, in supposedly a passing league. So you need to see more from him there. And he needs to take care of the ball. Two to six is not a good ratio through four games. And, uh, you know, he, he can't go to one and four. But again, what are the options right now? I know. You, people push the panic button here, like, oh, we need to see Tommy Stevens, what he can do. I know he got a drive there at the end, but, you know, I think that was just uh, just protecting Jake in a game that was over. So, yeah, you need to see him do more. Uh, but, I, I, again, I, I have full faith that he can do it uh, heading into Saskatchewan tomorrow. Patty, appreciate the time. As always, pal, enjoy the game on Saturday, and we'll check in with you with some Stamps reports next week. Thank you very much, Logo. Have a good one. Take care. Patty Juma joining us. Down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline, Stan Peters and the Rough Riders. They end off the CFL week Saturday night from Mosaic Stadium in Regina, taking on the three and one Rough Riders. The Stamps at one and three. They need to pick up a win to avoid uh, dropping the season series to the Rough Riders uh, by week six. That's not uh, a great uh, indication, but some healthy bodies back at that wide receiver spot. Looking forward to see what Saturday brings. It was a great matchup a couple weeks ago at McMahon. Hopefully we get a replay of that uh, on Saturday. But still to come tonight in the CFL schedule, week six, it's the Toronto Argonauts and the Montreal Alouettes. Toronto, the lone undefeated team left in the CFL. And then part of the doubleheader tomorrow uh, with Calgary and Saskatchewan is Winnipeg and Ottawa. They kick things off from the nation's capital at 2 o'clock. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. Continue this CFL power hour uh, up the road in Edmonton. The Elks are 0-6. They have tied a record for 20 straight home losses. Uh, and uh, we found out today that Chris Jones isn't going anywhere anytime soon. 
How do you fix what's ailing the Edmonton Elks? We'll check in with Brendan Escott from 660 Ched in 630 Ched in Edmonton. Excuse me. Uh, talk all things Edmonton Elks next as we continue here on Sportsnet 960. The fan. You're listening to Sportsnet today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960. The fan. We are rolling on here on Sportsnet today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. We are live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. For our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, cracked foundation, Boeing foundation walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Continuing our CFL Power Hour here on Sportsnet today. Just finished up a chat with Patrick Dumas, chatting all things Stampeders ahead of their big matchup on Saturday against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and now heading up the road to Edmonton to check in on the Elks. Tough one last night for Edmonton, but there have been a lot of those lately. They fall 37-29 to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. 0-6 on the season, and that 20-game home losing streak now at the forefront of the mind for many Elks fans. Uh, to chat with us about that, we head down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Guest hotline, welcome in. From 6.30, Chad, up the road in Edmonton. Uh, Brendan Escott joins us this afternoon. Brendan, thanks for doing this, man. How are you? I'm hanging in there, Logan. Obviously, uh, you know, easier times have been seen up in our neck of the woods than what we're going through with this football team right now. But uh, personally, I'm hanging in there. I think our shows are are sounding all right, despite the uh, guys in the field still not finding the win column. Yeah, it's it's tough, man. I'm curious if the, the mood is as gloomy as it feels like from the outside looking in. I mean... Look, anytime you talk about a losing streak of that length, it's it's obviously that there's a lot of problems going on. But I'm curious if the, the fan base and the people that you guys interact with as far as Elks fans go, if they're sort of feeling the effects of this uh, as hard as maybe we think they are. <laughs> okay, well, I'll separate this into two columns. The fans, oh, yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> what a tortured tortured fan base this has been. This is a team that's now lost 10 consecutive games overall in addition to the 20 in a row that they have lost on home field, which, by the way, has only ever been duplicated by a now-defunct Major League Baseball team in 1953. So we're going back in the history books here. They're 0-6 for the first time since 1938. So there's your stats attack for this. So, yeah, the fans are really upset right now. They're looking for any reason um, or any available quick solution. And, And the problem is I just don't see one. So so you go ahead and you fire Chris Jones. Well, the problem with that is in the league, we know that there's the coaches cap, the salary cap on coaches and development staff and that sort of thing. So he would, if they let him go, Logan, be the third coach that they're paying to not coach the football team. And in a league that's struggling revenue-wise to get anything done, you can't have that. So um, there's a lot of people calling for change in terms of the coaching and the management and that sort of thing. And I'm just not so sure it's on the horizon. And you've also got a whole bunch of people that even though it's just about four years removed from the name change are still upset about that. And they haven't won a home game as the Elks. So again, I say, while the reserve sports mind in me wants to be more rational than that. I absolutely empathize with where the Elks fans are at. It's been a long, long last four years of which they have only won nine regular season games and now their last 38 attempts. 
And it's interesting because uh, I believe Victor Cooey was on radio in Edmonton earlier today and was talking about the fact that Chris Jones is on a four-year contract, which is different reporting than we had heard from even the likes of Three Down Nation, who uh, we had chatted on the show before. I thought that they were talking about Chris Jones on these one-year contracts year in, year out. That changes things considerably, knowing he's on a four-year deal like that, Brendan, because of that operations cap that the CFL operates in. You fire Chris Jones, you're still liable to pay him, and it kind of limits what you can do with another head coach if you do get rid of Jones. You're absolutely right. And so this is is, uh, something that I think is really hampering the entire CFL, not just the Edmonton Elks. And that report from Victor Kui yesterday in the aftermath of the game that's contrary to reporting from us at 6:30 chat as well. Like we we had um, garnered different information than that, so I I don't really know. I mean, either we were misinformed by somebody within the organization in the first place, or Victor Kui is uh, you know he's got a different mm-hmm. thing that he's looking at. I mean, I don't want to tell tales out of school here. Uh, that gets into dangerous water. But the bottom line is you, the team's the worst that it's been as a CFL club. So all avenues for improving this should be investigated. And, you know, a lot of it is getting pointed right now at the offensive coordinator. And part of the problem with that is Stephen McAdoo and Chris Jones are not only uh, co-workers and have been every step of the way, they're also friends. So that's a pretty tough uh, separation to have to make. If, if you don't think that the offense is, is capable of pulling its weight and you've got a general manager and a director of player operations and a defensive coordinator that's filling all of these same roles that's also not willing to budge on his offensive philosophy which isn't working well then I don't know how you're going to win a football game so something has to change there's no doubt about that Uh, it's, it's just a matter of what are you able to change because the dollars and cents that were there 10 or 15 years ago to do that kind of thing are not there and that's not exclusive to the Elks. Uh, Brendan, I'll ask you one pretty simple question. It's one that I know a lot of people outside the market have asked. Why haven't we seen more of Trey Ford in at quarterback? I've been asking myself this for weeks. And essentially where we're at with this, Logan, it seems that there's been a bit of a divide between what the head coach thinks that his role ought to be and the fact that Trey Ford sees himself as a quarterback and only a quarterback. And I think if you're the player um, at this stage of his career, he still gets to dictate that. Unfortunately, I I think that they have more designs for him as a wildcat kind of runner, um, you know, somebody that they can line up outside and, and just be a little bit more creative with. And he's saying, I'm a quarterback. And so this to me is where we've had a separation because he was being utilized last year and integrated and even won a game. I believe it was Canada day in his old stomping grounds of Hamilton and a lucky fumble recovery to help things out, which they haven't really benefited from this year. But we, we, we aren't even entirely sure up here in Edmonton, why Trey Ford hasn't gotten a look. I would, I would think, and this isn't to discredit Jarrett Daggy, who is getting the secondary looks right now and did get into that game um, last night in relief work. He has a lot of promise as well. But when you would think, Logan, when you spend the first round draft capital that they did in 2022 on Trey Ford, you would want to develop him. And, and at this point, what do you have to lose but to see what you've got in this player? So 
Um, a lot of the post-game discussion last night was, is the solution to this internal, or do they need to go external quarterback-wise? I think it's really hard to think externally until you've given Trey Ford a fair shot at leading this team. The second start he got last season, he was hurt on the fourth, third or fourth play of the game, and we didn't see him again. So I'm not sure what the sample size has indicated yet, but I do know we've seen 32 games of Taylor Cornelius, and I've seen about enough. Is it frustrating from the sense that, at least when I watch the Elks, there are flashes of, of brilliance there, and I think there's flashes of talent, and I know it's hard. Eugene Lewis is hurt right now. Emmanuel Arsenault is also out, but I see at times, you know, look, I still see talent. Kevin Brown looks incredibly talented at the running back spot. Kyron Moore showed us uh, a bit of what he has, but it always seems that there's this big mistake at a key time that just compounds all these issues for the Elks. Is that an added sort of frustration right now that there is talent and there is a way for this team to score points, but they just can't seem to get out of their own way at times? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they have had a handgun pointed at their foot for about two two seasons now, at least, it seems. And we're breaking down the, the ways in which they cost themselves the football game. Um, there was a play a couple of years ago, maybe going back to 2019, when Trevor Harris was throwing an out route and the receiver got his hands on it and spun around and boggled it right to Sherrod Baltimore of the, uh, the Red Blacks and he ran it back 102 yards. Nearly the exact same play happens last night. Four years later, different quarterback, but the same airheaded mistake is still getting made. So you're, you're looking at the youngest team in the CFL, and when you see these mistakes all over the field in different phases of the game, they took 133 yards in penalties last night. Some of those were from veteran players and that sort of thing. So it's almost like they're waiting around and because they can't build enough offense consistently to get a good lead, they're waiting around for that moment in the game. That's going to end up costing them the football game. And and it's just frustrating to see it so often coming from the quarterback, because when you have a very highly paid for receiving core, as you mentioned, like UT Lewis, Stephen Dunbar, Kyron Moore, all guys that they brought in to really help fortify Taylor Cornelius, but he has to get the ball to them. This is a quarterback-driven league, and so many of the throws from Cornelius are into the dirt or behind the receiver, resulting in the interceptions that we saw last night or the drops and that sort of thing. So what, what they did incorrectly, Logan, in my opinion, is they put all sorts of weaponry around a guy who can't actually get them the football. They banked on it, and they bet wrong, and there's still time to salvage it, but they have to be willing to admit that, that Taylor Cornelius is not the answer here, despite the strong arm. So what exactly is, is the plan going forward for this? Because I heard a lot of, and we talked even a bit about it here going into this game, that this Hamilton one seemed like the best opportunity for Edmonton to get themselves up off the map because the next two weeks don't look any better for this Elks team. you got to run into Winnipeg on a Thursday next week, and then the next time you're at home, you're taking on a Lions team that's 4-1 and one on the season already. So two divisional opponents and two that are off to a pretty good start this season. I don't know where exactly you're looking for that shred of hope right now if you're the Elks or a fan of the team looking at the next two weeks, Brendan. No, 100%. And don't forget, so they, they get Winnipeg, BC, then uh, a bye week, and then they get Winnipeg again. So they're about to run the gauntlet after uh, opponents-wise. 
after having just gone through the gauntlet of scheduling in which they played five games in 25 days. So even their quality play was starting to be impacted by fatigue. Now they've actually got a couple of weeks where they can rest up and their opponents are probably the two best teams in, in football right now, unless you want to make the case for the Toronto Argonauts. So yeah, we're looking at probably, and I don't want to start counting losses and wins before they happen, but I just, the, there's no way that you could draw me up an avenue to a win in the next three football games. The way that we've seen Jared Daggy perform and lose in Ottawa, I don't know what to expect out of Trey Ford if they go that route. And unfortunately, I do know what to expect out of Taylor Cornelius, who has, has not won a game uh, at home for, for Edmonton. So there's, there's a lot of negativity. I'd like to see the coaching staff be a lot less stubborn, a lot more willing to make some of the changes I think are going to be required. You're trying to build a culture here. And so far, all that's happened, Logan, is a losing culture. It's, it, it's, it's just, it's losing. And they tried to cleanse themselves of some of the attitudes that might have been contributing to that last year. But you're 0-6 now. And at some point, that's going to start to really fester and, and, and really do bad things in the dressing room if it isn't already. Yeah, I don't want to say that they're opposing forces because I don't think that that's true. I obviously think Chris Jones wants to turn this thing around and obviously get them back to their winning ways. But it, it feels... Like it's an uphill battle for a guy like Victor Cooey right now, who I, I commend and I think has done a tremendous job bringing Edmonton back into the forefront of that community, you know, trying different things to bring fans to, to Commonwealth on a game-to-game basis. But, man, it's got to be hard if you're that guy to try to keep selling that when the results aren't there to follow. And you can see the frustration. He's very vocal and out there on Twitter, very publicly accessible and that sort of thing. And, and you can tell how much it's upsetting him and, and the rest, I'm sure, of, of the boards that, that this is where the team is at right now. The problem is, as sports fans, Logan, you and I both know, winning cures everything. And because mm. it's, it's, it's not just about losing at home and that's why no one's showing up to the games. It's because this franchise has put together nine total wins in the regular season in their last 38 games. That is absolutely horrendous. So there's nothing really to excite people about the on-field product. So it is really an uphill battle, I think, for Victor Quee and, and for the, the marketing side of things to try and get people excited about something. Now, it's not impossible. We know like, this is a sports city when the Oilers are on, but even the, the smaller stuff, like the, the Edmonton Riverhawks have built something beautiful at uh, Remax Field, and, and you've got a lot less seats to fill there, but it's an experience. And I find by the end of taking in one of those ball games, you don't really care who won or lost. You were just having a good time out at the ballpark. And that should be what Edmonton's striving for right here because I think the quality of play on the field might be further away from drawing butts into seats than, than they would have hoped. It is further away because they're well into more than a year of the Chris Jones regime part two. Brendan Escott's along with us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, our pal uh, from 630 Chet in Edmonton. What What's a, a reasonable next step? We just talked about the next two games look like very hard opponents. You go into a bye week. Then you get Winnipeg on the other side. You mentioned that. Uh, I don't know that, uh, you know, picking up a win or worrying about the home losing streak, getting to 21 against BC, I guess maybe that's a, a viable next point. But where do you go forward from here if you're someone that's trying to stay glass half full with this team, Brennan? 
Well, you, you can look to some opportunities. We saw Dylan Mitchell, who has really struggled out of the gate this season. Uh, he called his own number, said, I want to go for 2,000 yards. And then he ended up with less than 50 through the first five games of the year. Finally found himself a little bit last night. So he's somebody. And, of course, Kevin Brown, he and Mitchell were the two last year that really came in midseason and revitalized what was also a pretty meek offense at that point. So in the absence of the big free agent offseason acquisition in Eugene Lewis, um, now I'm looking to see just how much these kids that brought it, were brought in last year can continue growing. I think Stephen Dunbar is a great leader and somebody that they can look to um, as far as offensive help. And he's been really Mr. Reliable there. So that's that's nice and positive coming off a thousand yard season, uh, receiving season for him. But for me, let's let's keep building on the pieces that you have signed here to be a part of this thing moving forward. Whatever this thing is going to be and whoever is going to be at the helm of it, you need to have some cornerstone. You've got to establish what the leadership core of this team is. And so um, I'd like to think that some of the brighter spots, Kevin Brown has the ability to be a, a very successful running back in this league. Can the offensive line block for him? Can they get enough variety in the offense to allow those lanes to be open? If they do, then they've got definitely some things to build on. But uh, I think, as I said, you know, for this team that's trying to figure out what Edmonton Elks football is, it's, it's a pretty tough uh, culture that's been built right now. So um, the chopping wood mentality that they keep talking about, very important. Unfortunately, to this point in the season, they've been chopping wood with a pretty dull act. Uh, as I look at that injury report, I mentioned to you a little bit earlier, you know, the likes of Eugene Lewis and Emmanuel Arsenault on that six-game injury list, a couple of key guys on defense as well. Is there any sign of any of those key veterans on the horizon that could come back and give this team a boost over the next couple of weeks that we've heard of heading into, uh, I guess, the next week as they get set for Winnipeg? And unfortunately, I'm not sure there's a ton of help on the horizon. As far as the one game injured list, you might be able to go back to Andrew Garnett as, as an offensive lineman. But in the two games that he's been out, their offensive line has probably been its best this season. So mm -hmm. I don't think they're rushing him back. Uh, other than that, Ed Ganey is the biggest name you're looking at, not named Eugene Lewis on that list. And Ganey when he recovered a fumble or, or I think it was an interception and then he ended up fumbling as he got hurt on the play. Uh, it's either a collarbone or a shoulder and that's expected to keep him out even longer than the six games. So as far as those like key players, guys that were expected to um, factor in and, and, and really help usher along a younger core group of this team, uh, they aren't really around anytime soon. Uh, Eugene Lewis not expected back within that six-game time frame, and I'm looking at Enoch McConzo as well as one of the linebackers, probably not expecting him back for a few weeks. So uh, th this, this is going to be a, a problem for the group itself to solve. I genuinely believe that there are pieces there to help them do it, but it's got to be a killer mentality, and they just haven't hated losing enough. For some reason, somehow, when the game has come down to the inches, as Al Pacino told us on any given Sunday, <laughs> the game has come down to the inches so many times, Logan, and Edmonton has come out on the wrong side of every single one of those. So when that turns, maybe we're looking at a three- or four-win team instead of a, a zero-win team through the first several weeks of the season. 
Well, fingers crossed. Uh, I know I know it's never fun when uh, losing happens to uh, to keep covering it, but uh, you do a great job up there, Brandon. Appreciate you taking some time for us today, man. Uh, good luck next week against Winnipeg, and I'm sure we'll chat again soon, hey? All right. Sounds good, man. Stay safe at Stampede. Enjoy the game tonight. <laughs> will do. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate you, pal. Right. See you, man. Brendan Escott joining us down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline. He's the host of Edmonton Elks football on uh, 630 Chet in Edmonton. Producer of Oilers now as well and 20 games GVP. That is just... We were talking about it yesterday oh. on Sportsnet tonight. We thought of this little scenario. Who's going to win in Commonwealth first, the Elks or the Oilers? Because they have the Heritage <laughs> Classic there. That's, it... uh, that's a good... Uh, that's actually a sneaky good question. It could very well be possibly the Oilers. They haven't done it since 2019. They're so bad, man. And like I, I'm with Brendan. It's like you've got another quarterback. Want to try it? And you're just you're gonna sit there and pound your head against the wall. Yeah, and he brought up the schedule there too. Like looking forward for this team, like I can't really pick out a game in which they're gonna even be close. You're you're gonna get your ass kicked in Winnipeg next week. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's gonna happen. Uh, BC. You, even when you go, when you, when you welcome in BC. The pressure there to not get to that 21st home loss is going to be so immense, you know, and then you get, okay, a bye week. Okay, great. We're 0-8 heading into the bye. And on the other side, it's Winnipeg again. Great. Fantastic. Hallelujah. Can't wait for that one to happen again. This team is is just so far off. And I I mentioned him about those veterans because I just, I wonder who's there to, to really take the reins and be like, okay, guys. Enough is enough. This is, we're killing ourselves with penalties. We're making stupid plays. I mean, Taylor Cornelius, you got to bite the sack. You, your team just let a, them walk in on a touchdown. And the next play, I get it. Jagger Davis is in your face. It's no fun being chased around by guys like that. Take the sack. Don't put it in your left hand and try to chuck it up and be a hero. There's no heroes on your team right now. You can't give them the ball and then all of a sudden find yourself down 14. Those are the last kind of mistakes that your team can make. And there's no, I feel bad for Victor crew. I really do. Whether you're in Calgary or not, the Edmonton football franchise has been a premier one in the CFL. The battle of Alberta labor day used to really mean something when it was Ricky Ray and, and Henry Burris at McMahon. And that rematch up in Edmonton was something this is pathetic. And it's really sad to see because it's a better sports town than that. We love the rivalry, but it's a good sports town. Oh, absolutely. Like Edmonton, we're talking about the Elks, the Oilers. They have an extremely passionate fan base. We even saw it for a little bit in the NHL with the Oilers and, you know, them trying to rally them to get, try and get back to the Western Conference final this year. Obviously it didn't happen, but that, that team, that city, they used to be called the city of champions. And unfortunately for them, that just hasn't been the case in a couple decades now. And look, I'd be okay with, I, I, I can understand losing, but the way that they're going about it right now, that frustration from the head coach that's just not willing to change, that I think is what really grinds people is that you just, you're not seeing the approach change and you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And you're getting the same result. This fan base here knows about it. If we're going to relate it back to hockey, the question of mediocrity here in Calgary is something that fan fan bases always want to bring up. And it seems like the flames are trying to go through a change and just bring it back to football. Just, just seeing just what's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and getting at the same result. That's what's kind of happening with the Elks right now. 20 straight losses going back to 2019 at home for the Edmonton Elks. Next up for them, they got to travel to Winnipeg to take on the blue bombers who have been to three straight gray cup appearances 
Uh, that will kick off week seven on Thursday night next week. But for uh, Friday night football tonight, we've got one more game to get to. You've got the Toronto Argonauts and the Montreal Alouettes. Saturday, a doubleheader of action. It's Winnipeg and Ottawa, Calgary and Saskatchewan. We'll break it all down for you on a Monday. we got to get out of here, though. Flames Talk is coming up next with Pat Steinberg. Thank you to both my guests today, Patrick Dumas, Brendan Escott. Thank you for listening, whether live or on the podcast. And a shout-out to my outstanding producers, Taylor, Shan, and GVP on this Friday. Have a wonderful last weekend of Stampede. Get out there. Have some fun. Stay safe, and we will chat with you on a Monday right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.